All right, we're back, and here we are bringing you some leaked, a leaked interview with SBF, and it's not the one that's been going around the internet because, and the one that Coffeezilla reported on, but there's another one that we're going to show you, and this leaked interview is coming to you on the day when SBF is being interviewed by Andrew Rasorkin at this uh, New York Times uh, event. And um, we're going to be trying to cross over. We don't know what time the talk is going to be at the New York Times event, but if, if it's at a reasonable time, what we'll do is we'll cross over. Um, we know there's going to be some really big names there. Mark Zuckerberg's going to be there. Ben Affleck's, Affleck's going to be there. And then I think at the end of that, listen to what Andrew Ross Sorkin says. Here, uh, Shochu is going to be with us. We're also going to spend some time with Ben Affleck, who's starting a new movie studio and a lot, lot more. Mark Zuckerberg is going to spend some time with us as well. And then... At the end of the day, and this is the one uh, that I think a lot of people are waiting for, but also uh, has created a lot of controversy. I'm going to be speaking with FTX founder and former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. It will be his first live interview since the company collapsed. A lot of tough questions to be asked and hopefully answered uh, about what happened there. Accusations, of course, of fraud, misrepresentation, mismanagement. And we're going to get into all of it. Nothing is off limits. Uh, and I should say, because I know there's been a lot of questions about it, uh, it is going to be live streamed for free. Uh, anybody can watch it. Uh, we are going to uh, be putting out a link as planned a little bit later today. And of course, all this will be available on CNBC as well. So, April. all right. So, we're going to be there live with you guys later today. He said it's going to be live. It's going to be free. We're going to be there with you live. I think it's going to be pretty late, but what the hell? You guys are family and we're going to do it. But he said also that that's the first interview that SBF has done. And while I'm impressed that Andrew Sorkin is using words like fraud and stuff like that for the first time in a long time, we haven't heard the mainstream media use the word fraud and stuff like that. This is not the first live interview. In fact, there was a lady called Tiffany Fong who actually got SBF on the phone and did an interview with him a couple of days after the FTX collapse. Now, one part of that interview was published on Coffeezilla and another part of the interview wasn't really published. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go through both parts of the interview. We're going to go through what's going on in SBF's mind, and we're going to ask some really tough questions. Remember that tomorrow we are going to be, or I'm going to be live, and we're going to be streaming live. We're going to be streaming Mario's um, spaces. And I think it's going to be the biggest spaces in an event in, in, in the history of crypto, that's for sure. And we're going to have SBF live, and we're going to be able to ask him some tough questions. I am one of the speakers on that panel. So do me a favor, if you're here, first of all, smash a like button and subscribe to our channel. Because remember, we, our stream drop, dropped off. So now we're, we're, we're bringing back the second part of the stream. And no one knows. Just like the content. Help us get this content out there. Also, go to Mario's Twitter. Follow the guy on Twitter. Gen, uh, uh, excellent, excellent, excellent guy. And also set yourself a reminder that uh, because tomorrow we've got the SBF appearance. And it's going to be absolutely huge. So um, just be there. I think there's 25 or 30,000 people that are going to be there. Anyway, so let's get into it. Uh, before we do though, please just smash the like button, help us get this out there. Really sorry about the sound issues, but here we are and I'm back and I'm bringing you crypto love and I'm bringing you crypto wisdom. And we're going to go through this interview. We're going to start off with part one of the interview. She broke up the interview into two parts. Now, this is a phone call that she had with Sam Bankman-Fried. The phone call was on the 16th of November. Now, there's a couple of parts of this thing that, that, we, that we need to go through just to understand what SPF was thinking and how SPF was thinking. And the first part of it is starts over here. And it talks about the alleged backdoor into the FTX system. Remember that uh, it was alleged that he had a backdoor into the FTX system where he could manipulate the books to hide the loans to Alameda. Let's listen to what he said. 
was something about a backdoor that allowed you to execute commands that could alter the company's financial records without alerting others that this was put in place. I think that was a Reuters article, which made it seem like you secretly were moving money in the background. Wait, and this is something that I would be doing? It kind of said that SBF put like a secret backdoor so that he was moving funds to Alameda and it was undetected. Like, this was something that you put into place, potentially? I mean, that's how it, it read? Well, that's interesting. So that, I can tell you, is definitely not true. I don't even know how to code, is the honest, embarrassing answer. I certainly wasn't, like, building some backdoor in the system. I could barely use the system. I'm not, that's not true. Just, I use the system pretty well from a user interface perspective. Um, but I, uh, I literally never opened the code system. So, I mean, the first thing he says is, he, look, look, I didn't even know how to code. I didn't put a backdoor in the system. Now, that's obvious that you didn't put the backdoor in the system because we know you're not a coder. But the question should have been, do you know who would have put in a backdoor? Were you aware that there was a backdoor? Obviously, we don't think that you coded it because you're not a coder. So that's one way that Sam Bankman-Fried is, um, uh, uh, is escaping the truth or trying to back out of the truth. All right, then there was the next question here around the Alameda balance sheet. And listen to what he says around the Alameda balance sheet. Balances on FTX by a fairly large number, an embarrassingly large one. And it was because of a like very poorly labeled accounting thing, which was a historical artifact of a time before when, like from before FTX had bank accounts. And the result of that was basically there was a time way back yonder when people would wire money to Alameda and then ask to be credited on FTX. That just basically never got screwed up. Um, and that, that was like a pretty big uh, myth and meant that Alameda was like substantially more levered than I thought it was. I don't know. So he's saying, look, the reason why Alameda was much more levered is because in the past there was, you know, before FTX had a bank account, people used to put money into Alameda. But again, we know that's false because even towards the end, when you would deposit money into, into FTX, you would actually be depositing money into Alameda's bank account at Silvergate Bank. And that was like till days before the, 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 the FTX collapse. All right, then he spoke about the FTT token and taking leverage against the FTT token. Because what you remember is that part of their balance sheet or the reason why Alameda was was could get so much leverage off FTX is because they were staking the FTT tokens, which they had. So they had this FTT token and they were staking the FTT token to get money out of FTX. So listen to what, what he said about that. A lot of people used to put FTT as collateral on FTX. I think it had real value. Um, that being said, um, there are a few problems. One of which was, again, the position's bigger than I thought it was. That wasn't good. Um, second of all, was that um uh and, and this is fucking embarrassing that i got wrong like given my background i should not have been the one to get this wrong i think ftc was basically more legit than most tokens in some ways like i think it's, it's value is more economically underpinned than the average uh you know than the average token was that being said uh, um why do you feel that way wrong uh oh because like the buy and burn and shit like you know, it's not it's not just like a token that that like does nothing. Like it kind of at least it does something, you know. And like there is some like effectively cash flow that goes to it. And like you know, there is a utility for it. And like I don't know, like you know, you can use your judgment on how how much you think that's worth. 
Yeah. Like, you know, you- so he says, look, the reason why it was okay to leverage the FTT token was because there was some value to the token. What he also said there was, he said, there is some cash flow to the token. And by doing that, essentially what he did was he admitted that the FTT token is actually a security. He said there's some cash flow and some utility to it. And one thing that you'll keep noticing here is that FTX or that Sam Bankman Freed is talking against the advice of his lawyers. And this is something I'm going to play you guys in a couple of seconds. But what you realize is that he's not being advised. And what lawyers always tell you, if you're in a bad situation, like you look at Alex Mashinsky or you look at Doquan or whatever else, their lawyers have advised him, don't say anything because anything that you do can and will be used against you. But he doesn't think like that. In fact, let me tell you, let me take you to that part. And then we'll come back to the other part. But at some point here, he, he talks about the fact that you know, he's doesn't really care what his lawyers are saying. Um, hold on a second. Let's just uh, let's just look at where it is. Okay, so it's about fourteen forty. Uh, I have a couple of notes here, so let's just look at that. Okay, let's listen to this again. Either it was an ex-employee or somewhere someone installed malware on an ex-employee's computer, and I don't know for sure which of those it is, and I don't know for sure which one it is. Because access is totally shut down right now because it would be dangerous to allow people to carry data. Lawyers shoot me the fuck out for that one. You know, the first thing they said after that was, they said, Sam, we have only one thing to tell you. You have to promise that you never, ever, ever say you fucked up again. I told them to go fuck themselves. I don't think they know what they're talking about. I mean, whatever. They, they know what they're talking about in an extremely narrow domain of litigation. They don't understand the broader context of the world. Like, if you're a complete dick about everything, even if it narrowly avoids making moderately embarrassing statements, it's not helping anything. So what his lawyer said to him, he said to him, Sam, you can never admit that you fucked up because if you do, this canon will be held against you. And he thinks that he knows better than the lawyers. And so he's saying, look, well, you only know about law. Right now, the problem is you're in trouble with the law. And if you keep saying things like FTX is security, we'll go through a couple of other things. You're actually admitting that a whole lot of things which can land up costing it. As a result, what's happening is that his lawyers have started to drop him. So his first lawyer dropped him. Then his dad, who, by the way, is a lawyer or a law professor, dropped him. And then he, 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 he hooked him up with two other lawyers and they dropped him too. So it feels to me like he's in such trouble that he doesn't, um, that he's now starting to lose his lawyers. Now, that's always uh, a very, very bad sign. He also alleges that he only has $100,000 left. So people asked him, how much money have you got left? He says he's down to $100,000. He lives in a $40 million mansion. He claims that he's down to $100,000, which is, again, absolute, absolute, absolute garbage uh, we can't believe it. I see Scott Nalker is commenting, or, or someone who purports to be Scott. Um, so that is so. So that is that part of the interview. Okay. Then he was asked. Uh, I, I want to. Yes, there are places on, where it can there. slot into. Let, let me get there for you guys. Uh, oh, no, hold on. Wrong. Yeah. Wrong screen. Wrong, wrong video. Yeah. Let, let's go back to this video here, and I want to go to five minutes and twenty seconds over here, and I want you guys to listen to this. <laughs> the oh, Joe Rogan experience. It's, okay, hold on, let's try that again. Real okay. All amount of sales of FTC totally crashed the price. Like, 
illiquidity wasn't what caused that crash. What caused the crash was um, something else, which is very embarrassing that I underestimated, which is the massive correlation of things during extreme market moves, especially when they're triggered by fear over the position itself and mm-hmm. the massive size that those moves can be. And we've seen that again and again and again at finance, mm-hmm. where, I mean, long-term capital, similar thing, where like, you know, you have a bunch of positions which are correlated by virtue of all being held by the same entity. And in this specific scenario, where you have a crisis of confidence in that entity combined with a run on the bank and a total lack of, um, of, of liquidity and credit, um, uh, where the crash can be extremely correlated between all those assets, extremely large and extremely fast. Okay, so what he admits is he admits that the reason why this whole FTX collapse happened was because of the correlation of the FTT token to all the other tokens. So he admits he was completely leveraged against the FTT tokens. And by doing that, what he's admitting is that Alameda, his holding company, took FTT tokens, staked them, and then accessed users' funds. And what he also admits is that this crash happened because, because, FTT, because the market went down, FTT went down, and because FTT went down, the leverage wasn't enough, and that caused, them to, caused the cycle of starting to sell. So he's, again, he's made the mistake of completely admitting that he's accessed user funds using the FTT token, which is it's a huge no-no. All right, then there were, he was asked about the U.S. entity. So he was asked about the U.S. entity. Let me take you to the U.S. entity. Um, because he claimed that the U.S. entity was 100% solvent. Now, I don't know if he's delusional on meth. I have no idea what's going on, but you need to hear this. So FTX International was separate from FTX US, uh-huh. and you had stated yeah. that FTX US was solvent. So I was wondering why uh-huh. FTX US had to go to Chapter 11 as well. Oh, yeah. It's a really good question. Well, you blame the fucking idiot you're talking to for actually filing this document. I was first uh, coerced to doing it, but I should have just said no. I had that right. I probably would have been reported to everyone you could imagine for not doing it, but it would have been worth it because it's the right thing to do to not file. Um, and, like, I I would give anything to unfile that right now. You, you don't feel that... FTX US should have filed for bankruptcy. And well, so if they are completely separate and FTX US was solvent, then would that mean that FTX customers would expect like a decent recovery? Just because I feel like all the numbers that have been floating around. Sorry? FTX or FTX US? US. Just because the only numbers I've seen floating around, like the Financial Times, the recovery looks pretty slim for. That's very international. Yeah. US is 100%. So he says that US is 100% back, then he shouldn't have actually filed into it. So he calls himself an idiot. I think he said this fucking idiot um, for putting the US into liquidation. He says he shouldn't have. And that I kind of believe because I don't think that he would have messed with the US. And I think a big telling sign will we'll see whether he actually goes back into the US. This is another, the next part of this interview is another part of the interview that blew my mind. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely blew my mind. Now, this is the part where he was asked about whether he let Bahamian people, Bahamian people, Bahamian people withdraw funds before the liquidation, before they were put into, into, into chapter 11. 
Listen to what he says. Yes, and then the regulators or securities said that that was not approved. Yeah, I think I might have taken the right decision. Wait, sorry. All right, so I ran it. I I gave them a heads up, a one day heads up that we were going to do it. They didn't. They didn't say yes or no. He gave them a one day heads up that they were going to put the company into liquidation. And that was the period where they were only promised uh, 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 um, releasing withdrawals from people from in the Bahamas. And respond, and then we did it. The reason I did it was uh, it was critical to the exchange being able to have a future um, because that's where I am right now. And um, you do not want to be in the country with a lot of angry people in it. And you do not want your company to be incorporated in a country with a lot of angry people in it. And so it was, realistically speaking, shitty. But like, yeah, the pathway for FTX involved Bahamians not being aesthetic. I mean, just understand what he said. That he knew that FTX was going to be declared going into bankruptcy. And he knew that he was living in the Bahamas. And he knew that FTX was living in, was going to be incorporated, was, was going to be registered in the Bahamas. And he let everyone in the Bahamas, he gave them a heads up and he told them and he let them withdraw money before you could get your money out or in place of you getting your money out. Why? Because he intends to stay in the Bahamas and he doesn't want lawsuits in the Bahamas and he doesn't want people hating him in the Bahamas because he knows if he goes to the United States, something will happen to him. But in the Bahamas, the way he did it was he did it in such a way that people in the Bahamas would would not attack him and the regulators would probably have nothing to go after him because everyone in the Bahamas was made whole. And if you don't live in the Bahamas, well, it's very hard to go and sue someone in the Bahamas. That part absolutely, absolutely blew my mind. Now, another part where I think that SBF is lying was he was asked about his donations to political parties. And he said that he actually donated an equal amount to both parties. But when it came to the Democrats, he announced it. And when it came to the Republicans, he decided to go silent. Crazy shit, but you just donated to both parties. They donated about the same amount to both parties. That was not generally known because, despite Citizens United being literally the highest profile Supreme Court case of the decade and the thing everyone talks about when they talk about campaign finance, for some reason, in practice, no one can possibly fathom the idea that someone in practice actually gave dark. So, I don't know. so he said he gave to the Republicans and he gave dark to the Republicans. Now, I don't know if you believe that. I certainly don't believe that. And if, if you were going to give equally to both parties, why would you give the one party and make a big noise about it and go to the other party and not say anything at all? Just doesn't sound right. Doesn't sound right. Now, remember, there was another thing at the end of the FTX or while FTX was going into liquidation where there was a hacker. And so they asked SPF if he knew who the hacker was and, you know, was the hacker actually him? And he says, well, you listen to what he says. Um, let's go to 1420. That's where he talks about the hack. I don't know exactly who because they shut off all access to the systems when it's halfway through exploring it. I've narrowed it down to like eight people. I don't know which one it was, um, but I, I, I have a pretty decent sense. I think it is, again, either it was an ex-employee or Somewhere someone installed malware on an ex-employee's computer. So it's either an ex-employee, he's narrowed it down to four people. I guarantee you he actually knows exactly who it is. Now, later on in the interview, he actually believes that if he was in charge, everybody or most people would actually be made whole. Listen to this. Okay. Mm-hmm. And by numbers, and like 
then the saga ends and i honest to god believe if i had filed for bankruptcy all users would be whole and patrols would be on on that jet right now and not just us international as well and uh it, i might still get there we'll see i don't know it might happen it might not but i uh eight fucking minutes after i filed for bankruptcy four billion more came in um of liquidity are you able to add it to the estate I'm working on it, but the current trustees of the estate would rather burn it all to the ground out of shame and attempt to find a way to bring more value to customers. So right now I'm stuck in a jurisdictional battle between Basically what he's admitting here is he's admitting that if he was running it, he could probably have swindled more people into giving him money on this bankrupt insolvent shell that he could probably have made customers whole. Basically what he's saying is he could have probably continued to run the scam if the liquidators didn't actually remove him. And he thinks that he could have made users whole. But then in the next part of the interview, he was asked, what do you think people are actually going to get back? And what do you, what do you think? And I remember he said that he thinks that American users could get 100% back, right? On international, like... Well, I'm not nothing. Like, I think, sorry, there's, there's not counting, like, just liquid assets that are there. I, I think if nothing happens, if I can never do anything again, and they're left to their own devices... Eventually, U.S. will get a, pe- a penny on the penny, a dollar on the dollar, once they get around to admitting that. And international will get, I don't know, 20, 25 cents on the dollar. So I don't know exactly what, something like that. So he says U.S. will get most of it and uh, international will get 25 cents on the dollar. I guarantee you that's wrong. Along, right along the whole way, he hasn't got the numbers right once. I don't believe that he got the numbers right this time. So that, that was the first part of the video. That part you've seen, it's been on CoffeeZilla. But then there was a second part of the video, and I want to play you the second part of the video. And I want to start off playing the second part of the video um, over here, where he talks about how this whole thing actually happened. So let's quickly go there, and you guys can hear. In the spring, that you know took 15% out of asset values, um, combined with a hyper-correlated crash um, scenario this month, in which simultaneously we saw... Um, a 50% decline in relevant asset prices over a two-day period, combined with a complete run on the bank on FTX. Um, combined with the fact that um, uh, that uh, there is a margin position on FTX that was substantially larger than it uh, appeared to be. How large was because it? Because um, I thought it was billions, it was in fact billions more. So what he's admitting here is admitting, look, the reason why this happened was because there was a market crash and because we were leveraged and we just didn't expect the entire market to go down all at once. But hold on a second. Isn't a centralized exchange supposed to keep users' deposits separate? Didn't you in the FTX contract say that all user deposits would be separate and under the control of the users? You, he had no right to access user funds. And so a market collapse, if you deposit Bitcoin into an exchange and you want to withdraw your Bitcoin, the market price of Bitcoin doesn't really matter. It only matters if you've lent out money against it, which is saying that it was illegal and you probably shouldn't be doing. And he did it. And that's why this all happened. So again, he's admitting that he used customer funds for money and that's fraud. And uh, uh, customer funds take leverage. That's fraud. Um, that's fraud. And I guess now he's not being represented. And so by doing this, he's really, really, really exposed himself of fraud. All right, so he continues and talks about the margin position. Very, very much worth listening to. Let's listen to it quickly. Like, that's, that's it's a derivatives exchange. Um, and 
that's sort of the norm that there are open leverage futures margin positions. Um, Alameda had a substantial one. It was in fact more substantial than I realized that it was. Um, and then there was a extremely large hypercorrelated crash that tanked the value of his collateral. And then that um, it was effectively not possible um, to get any short, to get you know, nearly enough um, liquidity. So basically, he was over leveraged with your funds and it was not possible to get enough liquidity. And that's what happened. And the worst thing is that he admits now that there was actually no one else in charge. There was actually no some there was no compliance officer or anybody actually looking after user funds. Like person, chiefly, like there was no single person who was chiefly in charge of monitoring the risk of margin positions on FTX. Like there should have been and there wasn't. Yeah. And like honestly, what the fuck? How do you have an exchange with tens of millions of users with billions of dollars? You don't even have a compliance officer. I don't know who to be more upset with. I don't know if I should be upset with him, and I, and I am upset with him, or whether I should be upset with people that invested in him. Multicoin Capital, um, all the other funds, all the other big funds, Sequoia. How the fuck do you invest in an exchange? Without a compliance officer. I mean, do you not, when you invest in a bank, the, the first thing is you, you ask about the compliance of the bank. How do you invest in, a, in an exchange that's managing billions of dollars that doesn't even have a compliance officer? It is, it's beyond me. And we should be cross with ourselves. We should be cross if we invested. Look, we never invested in FTX. We didn't touch it. We're lucky we didn't even give you guys a referral link for it. But how do, you, how do you not have a compliance officer when you're managing so much money? It's just, it blows my mind. I'm so angry. I'm so angry because Bitcoin would be at $30,000 or $35,000 now if it wasn't for this FTX collapse. Anyway, he goes on to, sorry, I would have calmed down a bit. I'm starting to sound like a bit boy. Um, he, it's a true story. He goes on to talk about, he goes on to talk about the size of the hole. Listen to this. There seems to be like an $8 billion hole. Is the $8 billion hole where there's just $8 billion of funds completely missing? Or was that just based on some sort of poor investment decision? So it's what it really is. Um, uh, and I don't even know if $8 billion is correct. Is that correct? Right. <laughs> um, to my knowledge, um, I, you know, as of when I last calculated this, um, there was a significant liquidity hole, which is, say, like, you know, not enough ability to, to um, you know, not enough dollars uh, to fill with all, you know, projected withdrawal requests. Um, uh, and that's because there are margin positions still open, substantial ones. And, you know, there are funds collateralizing those. And so it's not. Oh, hello. Not a pure hole. Oh, wait, um, Sorry. Uh, you are, cut are out for a second. Mark. The last thing I heard you say was there are funds collateralizing those, and then you cut out. Collateralizing, um, you know, those positions, and so it's not like there are no assets. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, um, there's, there's, you know, big margin spread on, and he says effectively what he's saying is it's fully backed. Greater than liabilities. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, well, well, that is in theory true. Um, you know, the assets are not that liquid and could not. The assets are not that liquid. You cannot say that everything is fully backed because you're valuing 
altcoins at their fully diluted valuation when the tokens haven't come out. And that's exactly what he's doing. Absolutely, absolutely delusional. No, he was asked, what do you think would have happened if CZ didn't tweet? Do you think that you could have carried on? And really, if you interpret that question, what they're actually asking is, do you think that you could have continued scamming using user funds? Do you think that you could have continued scamming? That's pretty much what he was being asked. But she was much nicer to him than, than, than I was. And actually, now that I think about it, I actually better watch my mouth in this interview because as I said to you, tomorrow I'm going to be on Mario's stream and I'm going to be right in front of Sam and, and asking um, a whole lot of tough questions. And I just hope that you know, he doesn't watch this show and then back out, say, listen, or, or, or say something like, hold on, Ran can't be on this. I'll do the spaces, but Ran can't be on the spaces. So I'm going to calm down a bit, um, but you know that I'm angry. You can feel it, but I'm going to calm down just a little bit, uh, just in case. Do you think that if 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 CZ hadn't expressed concerns about FTX, then everything would be fine right now? Um. So, I mean, I think that like, um, I think basically, I think there's like, you know, open. Uh, what would happen? Like, there would have been risk. Um, I think things, you know, what would have happened in the end, like, um, I. I don't know for sure. He would have carried on scamming. I know for sure. Someone says, Ryan angry, lost money in FTX. Ryan had no money in FTX. Ryan told 2 million people to take their money out of FTX. 2 million people saw that tweet before FTX went insolvent. Hopefully, of those 2 million people, some of them were protected. Now, lastly, which is a question that I'm going to ask him tomorrow. He was asked by Tiffany. He was asked by her um, how he feels, does whether he has any remorse. It's different than I think what what it feels like to other people. What do you mean? Like, well, do you mean just in terms of responsibility or? Um, I, I guess like, um, honestly, I like right now, I'm mostly focusing on what I can do right. and like where yeah. it can be helpful. And like, you know, it's, there'll be a time and a place for, um, ruminating on on my future but um uh right now it's more one foot in front of the other and you know trying to be as helpful and constructive as i can and um uh that's all i can do for now and you know i'm going to ask him some really tough questions tomorrow um one of the questions i'm going to ask him is i know that every child every son every daughter wants to make their parents proud and his parents have got a whole lot of attention they've got the wrong attention um, I wonder how he feels about the way that his family feels about him now. I wonder if, how he feels about, about being the biggest scammer in history and having his parents in the limelight about all of this. And that's one of the questions that I'm going to ask him. That's, again, if I'm allowed on the stream, because maybe, maybe I've taken it too far this stream. Anyway, if I'm allowed on the stream, then remember that tomorrow, go to Mario's Twitter, follow Mario. Mario's just a, an all-round good guy, and he's doing good work for this place. So just go and follow him. Give him some love. Tomorrow, join the stream. It's going to be the biggest uh, public appearance by, by um, it's, it's the biggest, uh, I think it's going to be the biggest crypto stream ever done. Um, we're going to broadcast it live here for you. Uh, Mario is going to be live. Everybody's going to be live on this thing. I also saw, actually, funny enough, the mainstream media. I mean, they have, they have fucked this thing up royally, like royally, royally. 
I saw this. So Forbes did the top 30 under 30. You know, like they do 30 under 30, the top 30 people under 30. They released this uh, yesterday, I think. And <laughs> I mean, look who's still in the top 30 under 30. Fraudsters, scammers are in the top 30 under 30. Caroline Ellison and Sam Trabuco are in the top 30 under 30. What? The, I mean, how bad are mainstream media? Like, listen, I get bad, but this is like beyond bad. This is like, the, the, I mean, this is, this is, can you believe it? This is absolutely, absolutely embarrassing. Really, really, really embarrassing. All right, let's look at some other news quickly. Um, sorry about that. Uh, um, someone says, why is Ron not on that list? I'm not on that list because I'm clearly not under 30. <laughs> actually, funny enough, I was actually phoned by Forbes. They wanted to put me in the top 40 under 40. I'm fucking older than 40, bro. So it's a bit of a problem. That's why I'm gone. I said I'm over 40, but if you want me on, if you want me on over 40, then I'll go. No problem. Um, why are you laughing? It's true. All right, let's look at some other news, some other alpha. I've got some other alpha for you. Uh, the first bit of alpha for you is, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but very quietly in the background, Uniswap launched an NFT marketplace. And I think that this has got a good opportunity to take on OpenSea. So um, it's now live. I've seen some screenshots of it. Uh, I think it's good. You need to, you need to, look, at, you need to look at this. Next bit of, of news, um, very, very, very bad news for anyone who, who owns nightclubs. But if you're going to nightclubs, it's actually, um, it's actually good news because your tables become a whole lot cheaper, especially if you're going into Miami nightclubs. So there's a nightclub in Miami called Eleven. I don't know if you've been there. If you've been there, you know exactly what kind of nightclub Eleven is. And if you, you want like a first-hand report of what Eleven is like, I'm going to bring on Raymond. Ray, tell us about the, the nightclub uh, called e Eleven. Um, it's a place you want to be to have a great time. Show up with your wallet for sure, or your bank account, or your Bitcoin. It's going to be All good. Right. Yeah, if yeah. you go there, it's very expensive, and there's a lot of women, and, and, and you know what it's like. Anyway, long story short, they used to process $660,000 per month in crypto transactions. Now they're processing $3,000 a month in crypto transactions. Um, that, a lot of that has got to do with Suzu not being, uh, not being in Miami anymore. So that's the next bit of alpha for you. A um, lot of fun around BNB token. Dylan Leclerc jumping in. Um, I'm, not, I'm not buying it, but, you know, got a report on it. Yesterday, GMX did more daily fees than Uniswap for the first time, which is huge. We've been telling you guys to buy GMX. In fact, let's quickly look at the price of GMX. I know it's one of the tokens on my watch list. Um, let's quickly look at GMX. So there's ooh, GNS Gains is doing amazingly well. Congratulations to anyone who took that tweet. Uh, took that tweet. Took that trade. Uh, let's quickly look at GMX. I know it's somewhere here because yeah, forty six twelve. Great, excellent move. Congratulations to anybody that got into that. Um, you can see from a fundamental point of view, it's absolutely pumping. Yesterday it did more fees than uh, Uniswap. Today it's almost on par with Uniswap, and it's the third highest uh, generating fee uh, uh, protocol. And on on the seven day average. Okay, so it's going up and up and up. It's on the move up. I still think that this is a, a, a great protocol to invest in. Another one which I think is worth investing in if you're in for the long term. I don't think it's going to jump because it's not one of these tokens that gets hyped up. But if you look at Injective, their tokenomics burn 7% of the circulating supply. 
um, which is great. Usually tokenomics are very inflationary. Injective is burning about 7% of their circulating supply. It's real. We verified this. I verified it when I looked at the suite. We're also investors in uh, uh, Injective. So I think that's that's another good one to be watching. Uh, Animoca Brands launching another $2 billion metaverse funds. These guys, these guys just ain't stopping. They just ain't stopping. So I think, um, what the fuck? Who, who made this? Why is this because of the soccer bet today? I think it's what. Uh, what is that, and why is it on the screen? Why, well, why is it on Twitter? <laughs> why? But why am I holding a baguette? It's because of the shirt. Of course. I'm gonna burn the shirt. I'm gonna burn the shirt. But I can't believe that took you so long. I'm gonna burn. Oh my goodness! I'm gonna burn this shirt. All right, let's talk about what bets I'm putting down um, for today. Remember, so far, I haven't lost a bet. I haven't lost a bet. Uh, let's close that. Let's remove that. Let's remove that. Let's see what we're going to do. So Australia, Denmark, I don't actually have an opinion. France, Tunisia, I'm going to go for a draw. But yeah, I'm going to go for a draw here on France, Tunisia. It's a $50 bet. Poland, Argentina. Better go for an Argentina win. Because Argentina have to win. Okay, so let me let me uh, let me do that and quickly do a Argentina win. Um, put hundred dollars on an Argentina win. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Okay, now this is an interesting one: Saudi Arabia versus Mexico. Mexico. You say you? I mean, I know you say Mexico, but Saudi Arabia beat Argentina. Eh? You know what? I'm actually going to go. I'm going to go with a Saudi Arabia win. Dollars than a Saudi Arabia win. Okay, let's try. Let's try. Let's try. Yeah, okay. So we'll keep watching this. If you want to, if you want to do this, remember a new sponsor, sportsbet.io. Uh, you can use your crypto. You don't use a MetaMask, no credit cards, no KYC, none of that shit. You just go, you put your money in and you can do it. I'm not encouraging anyone to do it, but if you were like me and you were taking sports bets, then yeah, do it. Um. We will see you guys again later. We will be streaming the event live. It's one o'clock in the morning, my time, and I will be here. So I will be here. Get that thing off the screen. God's sake. And I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll, I, you know what? Let's auction the shirt. Who wants to buy the shirt? Let's, let's start taking bids. The highest bidder, I will mail you the shirt. Let's go in the comments. Highest bidder gets the shirt do i have ten dollars do i have five dollars okay i've got 10 rand which is about 80 cents ten dollars okay i've got ten dollars from bruman i've got ten dollars from bruman i've got 10 9.95 from vatsal no you're out you got to you got a bit higher No, come on, guys. 50 cents. 20, I got $20 from Shamil. Shamil's got $20 for the shirt. Vincent got $20 for the shirt. Surely there's some French people watching the show. $50 from Muhammad Al-Ramahi. $74 from Muhammad Al-Ramahi. Oh, hold on, I got, wait, wait, I, I, whoa, 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 $100 from Just ZA, $100. That's in South Africa, 
you and he's in South Africa. You should steal that. Okay, a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars. If I get a hundred and fifty dollars, I will sell the shirt without putting it in the washing machine. Straight off my body. <laughs> oh, Amar, Amar's getting Amar's got a hundred and fifty dollars for the shirt without it being in the washing. <laughs> I'll see you guys again later. Till then, have some fun. Trade well, my friends. Put baguette thing up. What the fuck? No, somebody put a thousand. <laughs> somebody put one K. That's not cool.